take a trip to the moon or Mars today. I am Tanya Hall and joining me is Andy Weir, author of The Martian, Artemis, Cheshire Crossing, and Project Hail Mary. This is part one in a two-part interview with Andy Weir. Be sure to catch part two right here as well. Welcome, Andy. Hi, thanks for having me. Andy, I'm sure many of our audience are familiar with your science fiction books, The Martian and Artemis. What other types of writing do you do? Well, um, a lot of people know me for the short story I wrote called The Egg, which was really popular. It, it became kind of a meme thing. It was like I banged it out in 40 minutes one night and threw it on my website. I didn't expect it to become a big thing, but that was actually before The Martian. That was the thing that kind of first put me out there. And so that was pretty cool. I also wrote, as you mentioned, Cheshire Crossing. And that was uh, that was a comic I did also in the pre-Martian days. But now, now, um, now that I kind of have a name for myself, uh, people looked at Cheshire Crossing and said like, oh, hey, this could be good. And so they got the, the extremely talented Sarah Anderson to redo the art. Uh, it's a comic book. I should have opened with that. Um, I am a terrible artist, and I'm the first to admit it, but I wanted to make a comic back then, so I did. And um, they looked at it and said, this is a great comic script. Let's get an artist. And so they got Sarah Anderson, who most people know from Sarah's Scribbles, um, this hilarious little comic that she does. But she's also a very good artist, um, and you don't really see that in her comic. She deliberately makes the comic to be fast to draw. But anyway, that went really well. And uh, in the future, I'll be known as the author of Project Hail Mary, which is my next book coming out uh, in uh, hopefully spring of 2021. Which we're all looking forward to. Thanks. Artemis was released in 2017 as a, and a, and a thriller about a lady with an agenda on humankind's first lunar colony. NASA decided much later to put their first woman on the moon as a part of a mission they also named Artemis. Is there any connection? Yeah, it's embarrassing, really. That NASA just follows me around, trying to be like me. No, it's a it's a pure coincidence. Um, uh, uh, well, it's less of a coincidence, more of just a common cause. Artemis is um, Artemis is Apollo's twin sister in in um, mythology, and she's also the goddess of the moon. So it's a pretty obvious. Uh, it's a pretty obvious uh, mythological figure to name uh, a moon-related thing after. And also, there's a, a long history of naming space missions after mythological figures. So it was kind of uh, just a coincidence. But I love that people think NASA named it after my book. <laughs> I mean, they're wrong. <laughs> but I love that people think that. <laughs> well, I think I already knew that. But I did think it was a very happy coincidence. You yeah, it was awesome. Your two blockbuster space novels are recognized for their scientific accuracy. For The Martian, you even wrote your own programs to determine the best date for, for an Earth-Mars mission alignment, which I think is, is super geeky and so awesome. What kind of research does it take to, to tell a compelling story that remains scientifically credible? Well, um, first off, you know, neither of my books are like 100% perfect science-wise. I, I, there are there are honest mistakes, and I guess for lack of a better term, dishonest mistakes, like things where I deliberately hand wave some science. And so it's all about how accurate can I possibly make it, and I want to be as accurate as possible. That's just kind of my thing. And I guess in terms of the research, 
getting it right is kind of easy for me because that's, I really like doing the research and the math and the science. It's my favorite part. And um, everybody's knowledgeable at their hobbies. My hobby is space stuff. If you're like way into cars, then you're going to start off with a big head start on anything related to cars. And when you do research, you'll know where to look and how to find the information you want and who to talk to. So I'm no different. It's just that my interest happens to be space travel. So um, between my like kind of like more than average knowledge base plus a nice internet connection and Google, I mean, that's pretty much everything you need to research uh, space. Um, the cool thing about space and, and the space program and stuff like that is that, you know, most of it, I mean, there's Air Force programs and stuff like that, but most of it's public. It's very public. NASA is very public. And the people who work on these things are very proud of it. You know, this is like, hey, if somebody worked on the Apollo program, that is, that's what they'll open with when they're meeting you. It's like, hey, you know, 50 years ago, I designed this little widget for the Apollo program. I mean, it is an immense source of pride for the people who've worked on these things. And so they make websites about it. They talk about it in great detail. So all that information there is very easy to find if you just uh, Google around for it. What science fiction from the last hundred years is your favorite? Oh, from the last hundred years? Oh, see, I was going to talk about, uh, you know, the, the Barsoom saga, but that's from more than a hundred years ago. So I guess, huh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, for me, it's interesting. I grew up reading my father's science fiction collection. Um, he had a big bookshelf full of paperbacks from the 50s and 60s. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Gen Xer. My father's a boomer. But I ended up growing up reading boomer science fiction. So for me, my holy trinity is um, Isaac Asimov, Arthur C. Clarke, and Robert Heinlein. So those are the writers I grew up reading. And that's maybe why my, my stories are a little more in that bent of just the, they, had, they all had really positive views of the future, like that science is good and, and humanity will be better in the future. We'll still have our problems. We'll have new and unique problems. But you would rather live in one of their books in the future than right here today, right? It's an optimistic, aspirational view of the future. And that's kind of how I roll in my writing. And I, I'm sure I got that by reading them. Hollywood news sources report that your next space novel, Project Hail Mary, is already scheduled to become a movie. A movie based on Artemis is in pre-production and the movie The Martian won a Golden Globe for Best Actor and Best Actor Performance rather and uh, and was nominated for seven Oscars. How is your right, Hollywood... it actually won the best Go ahead. It, it also won Golden Globe for Best Picture. See? Well then see how is congratulations. How has your Hollywood success Thanks. influenced your writing? Uh, I've tried not to let it influence her writing. My job is, you know, I always see it as my job is to write books. Uh, I'm not writing movies. I'm not, I, I'm, when I'm writing a book, I don't think of it in terms of, oh, this might get made into a movie. I have to make sure it works in that medium. I'm just always writing books. And, um, so I try not to let it, uh, affect my stories, storytelling technique, anything like that. Um, basically, uh, like the Martian film was like the greatest advertisement for the book ever. Like I sold so many copies of the Martian as a result of that film that it allowed me to like live out a really 
live, live a very happy, comfortable, dare I say wealthy life and just be a full-time writer. So I guess I would say it hasn't affected my writing, but it's affected my life surrounding the writing, allowing me to write kind of whatever I want, which is awesome. What's the hardest part of storytelling? For me, the hardest part is, um, is exposition. Uh, so d different writers will give you different answers, of course. But for me, I just hate describing inanimate objects. Like, okay, for whatever reason, I have to describe the layout of a room or what a, what a house looks like from the front or this, that, and the other thing. And, and I just hate it because it's, it's, it's so boring. It's so boring to write. You end up, and it's boring to read, in my opinion, which is why I generally be as light, I'm generally as light on exposition as I can be, because I'll just be like, yeah, okay, they're in a meeting room. There, you've, you've seen meeting rooms in your life. You've, you've already, if I say, oh, these two characters are in a meeting room, your brain has already assembled an image of a meeting room. I don't need to say like, oh, the long mahogany table was flanked on either end by comfortable lumbar support chairs. A bookshelf stood neatly in the corner with reference manuals. Should anyone in the meeting, who gives a crap? I, I, when I'm writing, I want, I want the action to move forward. I want the plot to advance. I want dialogue to happen. And so I just hate exposition. And also, um, uh, I never, unless it's critical to the story in some way, I never uh, tell the reader what characters look like. You know, what's uh, Mark Watney's hair color or eye color in the book? You never know. What's, you know, I never even say his ethnicity. You assume he's Caucasian, but I never said that. <laughs> That's true. In fact, I want, and I, and I want to say that too, that it's funny because you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, your writing and, and your creativity, but I want to, I want to say that a lot of people may not realize you're an engineer to begin with, right? Like you started as an engineer, but you're yeah, also right. obviously very left brain and very right brain because you're also a very creative writer. Let's say there's oh, another engineer out there who has followed your work, um, but they're also have an interest in writing. What would your advice to them be? Well, um, I have general advice for anyone who wants to be a writer, not just engineers, but I'll start by saying if you're an engineer, you're, the topic of your writing should be something you're, well, not just an engineer, whoever you are, the topic of your writing should be something you're passionate and knowledgeable about. So if you're an engineer, you're, you're, you're some kind of engineer, and there's probably some mad science idea you have in the back of your mind, maybe think of that as a, as a direction to go for a story. Um, but for everyone who wants to be a writer, I have my, my three pieces of advice I like to give. Uh, first off, you have to actually write. Um, in order to be a writer, you have to write. You have to sit down at your word processor and type words into a document. You can sit around and think about the storyline and the structure and what's going to happen all you want. But until you're actually writing things down, you're just daydreaming. And daydreaming isn't writing. Okay, so you, you have to get it down on paper. And what sucks is as soon as you start doing that, everything goes wrong. You start to realize this won't work, that won't work, this is boring. Oh my God, I have to describe a thousand years of history of this kingdom before the you know, reader can even understand who the main character is. This is when you start realizing what you've got to cut, what you've got to trim down, um, and so on. So you have to actually write. Number two, and this is hard, you have to resist the urge to tell your story to your friends and family. 
You have to keep it to yourself. Make it a secret. Uh, make yourself a rule that the only way anyone experiences your story is by reading it. Um, now, you can still, you can still like give it to your friends like a chapter at a time or something like that. So you don't have to finish the entire book. You can say like, hey, I wrote the first chapter of my book. Would you read it or whatever? Now, why, why am I giving this advice? Because when you verbally tell someone your story, it satisfies your need for an audience and it makes you less likely to go write it. Most writers are driven by a desire to have other people experience the story they came up with. So when you tell the story to people, they have now experienced the story you came up with and you feel mission accomplished. Don't, don't let that happen. Keep your motivation up by going, when I'm done writing this chapter, people will read it. They'll experience it. And then I'll get the feedback and the sweet, sweet external validation that I crave. And so that's uh, advice number two. Uh, and finally, number three is there's never been a better, there has never been a better time in human history to self-publish ever. Um, in the old days, if you were a, a writer in the you know 70s or 80s and you wanted to, and you couldn't get a publishing contract, you couldn't get people interested. Self-publishing was very expensive. You had to vanity press your books. You had to try to convince bookstores to carry them on consignment, and you, it was almost always a losing proposition. It cost you a lot of money, wasted you a lot of time. Nowadays, you can just, you can self-publish for free for literally zero economic risk on your part. You can just put it up on Kindle Direct Publishing or Barnes & Noble, or there are lots of uh, avenues that, where you can put your stuff up and charge for it. So uh, there's no longer an old boy network between you and the reader. You can just put it up there for people to see, and if it's good, it'll get around by word of mouth. So those are my bits of advice for would-be writers. Great advice. It certainly worked out well for you. Andy Weir, yeah, author that's... of The Martian, Artemis, Chessar Crossing, and Project Hail Mary. If somebody wants to connect with you, Andy, maybe they want to find out uh, more about what's happening with your work. How can they do that? Um, well, they can find me on Facebook, Andy Weir, or uh, Twitter, uh, Andy Weir Author. And you can always email me. Um, I, my email address would be annoying to spell out right here, but you can just Google around and find my email address. It's, it's very public and I answer all fan mail. Don't forget to check out part two of my interview with Andy Weir right here and find more of my interviews here or at tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching. Thank you.